This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Ripping. <laughs> Frontline Gaming presents... presents? 40K Stat Center with Stats your host, Center. Val Heffelfinger, Heffelfinger and the Falcon. <laughs> LVO, more like LV. Whoa. We break down our first hand four way into forging a narrative at the Las Vegas Open. And then we canvass the caverns of Canberra to bring you the best from CanCon, the second best event that happened that week. They played Warhammer in the fifth round. They played Warhammer in the sixth round. At Beachhead Brawl, they never surrendered. And then we enter the seats where the elite meet to treat in the City of Wheat for the Wheat City Open. Finally, we top it off somewhere in there when we'll mention your little tournament that could. This is 40K Stats Center. Oh, Pete, you wrote that into the script this week, and I, I really like that. I don't know why we haven't been doing that. I, I just assume it was because we figured our listeners knew who we were, but um, I've begun to think we're wrong. No, I, much like uh, www.dickpills.com, you can't say it enough. You want to you wanna get it at least three times in there. Um, it's, it's very true. Yeah, this is 40K Stat Center. Aloha and welcome to episode 29-ish of the best competitive 40K podcast in the world. We've finally broken out of the general malaise that comes when old men spend too much time carrying cameras and counting thunderfire cannons to bring you all the coverage from our beautiful world of war. That's right, Kimosabi. We needed that extra week to recuperate and generally get over all that con crud that you inevitably beget when, uh, you know, if you're like me, you spend a full five days in Las Vegas shaking people's hands, hugging them, um, in some cases full-on mouth-kissing them. Um, yeah, like I'm surprised I didn't end up with something far worse than what I got. You know, I mean, even just from amongst our merry band of streamers and for those that you haven't somehow already watched and memorized and committed to memory, all of the various mishaps I made switching from camera to camera and the great coverage that was done on twitch.tv slash 40 K stat center spelt the Canadian way. Um, it was a fantastic little run. It was great to do. And like any, uh, you know, high school musical, or, you know, maybe regional sports team championship. I really felt like really, really tight with you guys. There was, I kind of wish we had yearbooks that we could have written, like, have a great summer in at the end. Aww. Of the you know, like, um, I don't think I could exp uh, say it any better. Like, I had such a great time with, uh, you know, you and uh, Panda Pants, Tony, um, Adam, the Dromedary, Camilleri, the Paul Murphy, the, uh, I, you know, I used to say that I was the handsomest man in uh, competitive 40K. Um, Paul is definitely the handsomest in casually competitive 40K for sure. <laughs> I mean, that guy really rocks a suit pretty hard. I was quite impressed. Like, the best dressed by far of all of us. He's he's one of those. He's like a magic eye, uh, a poster. Uh, horribly dating myself to the mid '90s, but you know, if you kind of go cross-eyed and let your eyes unfocus, he's actually quite handsome. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, uh, the fact that he left us with what, like, uh, a quart of uh, whiskey at the end of it all, because he just <laughs> forgot he had it. Yes. Um, also, a uh, great thing to have. Really, though, like, I just loved it. I loved everything we did. I thought we mostly nailed it. We stuck the landing. We had a yeah. pretty, uh, pretty rough opening. Mm. A couple times, I forgot there was more than one mute button on the camera I was oh, carrying, God, yeah. which 
led to some pretty uh, interesting moments. And I flew drones for like ten minutes at a time with just like the mic on on the drone, just drowning everybody out. So you know, uh, whatever. It happened. Yeah, in retrospect, we were terrible, um, it, but yeah. for just very brief periods. I don't think um, I did a single transition on day one or two without screwing it up horribly, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, but it's at, fine. It, I think it was still, uh, uh, you know, groundbreaking for for what we were trying to do, and that's the way I'm going to frame it forever. Yeah, and uh, I just, I mean, we did the best coverage of the LVO that's ever been done. Certainly, the uh, you know, yes, ever, one hundred percent, and will Love ever our, be done. Will ever? I don't know. Ever? I want to do it again. Oh shit! Okay. I don't know about you. I know that I know there's stuff coming up in your life, but we're doing it again. Well, all right, and uh, and also you guys are pretty much planning to cover every major event uh, happening between now and forever. So I'm glad I mean, to see the enthusiasm is overwhelming. If Adam Camilleri has his way, he's going to just live the ITC circuit, I think, and just commentate across all of it. Um, I'll it is unfortunate. And talk about Warhammer. <laughs> I mean, if we could get paid more than nothing to do this. I mean, more um, than nothing. That's that's a dream. That's, that is the dream. I mean, we are talking a lot about BAO. That looks like yes. it is probably going to happen mm-hmm. um, with at least, you know, 80% of the team. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. I'm going to be in San Francisco either way. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to do the thing I love to do while I'm there. Yeah, which is uh, linger around Warhammer tournaments and talk about people doing stuff. And I, yeah. I think it's actually a perfect match for your skill set. So let's let's maybe segue seamlessly because, I mean, we are talking about something that happened a month ago already. Is that possible? No, like three weeks. No, three weeks, guys. Three, three weeks, weeks, guys. Come on. Come on. Holy. It's Holy. that long. And, I mean, we did have quite the delicious. Although we did two episodes, a little break in December. So we haven't been recording all that frequently. And also, it's been a little while since the LVO actually happened, but there's something that I think has gone a little overlooked during all of the LVO discourse, and I'm going to hit you with a little bump. Crack open those spreadsheets, nerds. Nerds. Because it's time to put the stats in Stats Center. Courtesy of 40kstats.com. That's your website, Pete. That's me. Before I was interrupted by Keith, I, I wanted to sort of prompt you on a topic, which is, you know, we had this overwhelmingly powerful list here, the, the Broviathan, if you will, and it went something like, I don't know, was it 37 and 4 or some nonsense? Yeah, it had like an 87% win rate. Yeah, it did okay. It was pretty good, you know, and yeah, uh, yeah it's all right. So what I wanted to return to is actually uh, sort of some metrics that we looked at a little bit last year, but we hadn't really touched this year yet, and that is actually... How good are the good players that showed up at LVO? So did you do any crunching of numbers around, um, you know, uh, the top 100 ITC players and how they performed relative to regular schmoes like you and I? Yeah, sure. Um, so last year I got asked uh, by, I believe it was Mr. Steve Pamperine, um, if I had any data on how like the top 100, 150 or so ITC players had performed at the LVO. Um, and you had made a similar request, so I'd kind of already calculated all that data. Um, last year, that top 100, um, they had a, I believe it was a 78% win rate against uh, the rest of the masses at LVO. So a lot of people thought that was pretty significant. Uh, I did the same this year. Of the top 100 ITC players um, that went into the LVO, there were 78. And they ended up having a 76.56% win rate. Um 
when I include their matches against each other, uh, <laughs> when I remove that weighting, when because mm-hmm. those are always going to be 50-50, um, it was an 86, almost flat, 86% win rate um, <laughs> against the rest of the masses, uh, quote-unquote, at LBL. So pros v. Joes, top 100, I'm sorry, was that 86% win rate? Yeah, they, they beat everybody real bad. So that's the top hundred. So that's not just the Proviathan. I mean, that's a lot of Marines in there. Do we have anything on uh, perhaps what the what the top hundred actually fielded? What what did their meta look like? Sure. Yeah. Um. Of the top hundred, of the top like seventy eight, sure. they were whatever. Um. The big thirty three of them ran um Space Marines. So you know over forty percent mm-hmm. brought Marines. Um. Then you had nine people bring uh, Craft World Eldar. Eight brought Chaos Space Marines. There were six Orcs, four Admech, three Tau, and then one or two of basically everything else other than like a couple of the really, you know, bottom performers that you just don't expect to see people bringing right now. Space mm-hmm. Wolves, Dark Angels, etc. Basically folks trying to get those coveted best in faction plaques, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's a lot of these, uh, you know, top 78 or top 100 players um, that are really faction focused. And so they... They they may think, you know, they're very good players. They go to a lot of events, but they're really, you know, they're aiming for best Necrons or or best Blood Angels or whatever at the event versus mm-hmm. aiming for, you know, taking it all or whatnot. Um, so, you know, you see uh, there was, you know, one of them playing Necrons. Um, I believe that was um, uh, Antonio Cedeno going yep. in. Yep. Um, and uh, he ended up going four and two, got uh, passed by uh, Euless Anders for best Necrons. Um, you know, there was like one Drukari player, uh, a couple thousand sons players, things like that. And these guys, yeah, they're all vying really more for best in faction. I think at this point, a couple of them, like chaos space Marines, Eldar, you can tell they're, they're there to win it Yeah. because craft world and NCSM did have lists that I think people thought going in had a chance if they, all the right criteria were met, but it's very clear. Um, and it's always been this way that, you know, the top players will steer towards lists that are going to win them at all. Yeah. Um, and so that's why, you know, you're going to see, you know, 40, 45 percent of the meta be Marines in this case, where Marines are are just, you know, they're they're well above everybody else. Sure. And, so and that's also your best chance to win. not wildly out of whack. I mean, com- compared to the, the, the field as a whole was still around 30 percent. So, yeah, like, the field of the whole was 27% Marines. Yeah. And this it's the same as like last year. Last year, um, going into LVO, the two lists that everybody were kind of uh, looking at were um, Inari and like the Knight Castellan list. And yep. uh, that showed the majority of the top 100 that went to LVO last year. Uh, they ran either the Castellan list or the Inari list. And um, same thing, like they they definitely made up their proportion was higher than the rest of the the like events proportion of those particular uh, you know lists or factions. Cool. All right. So a lot of people essentially the reason why I wanted to have this talk is you know those those keyboard warriors out there, the big fish in the little ponds, or even just people who maybe are just pissed off that there's a really dominant list like the Proviathan or the Castellan list before it, and et cetera, et cetera might be saying that there's no such thing as player skill um, when you have a list that dirty. And I think the point here is that uh, with a win rate of like 87% uh, against the rest of the field, I think it's clear that the ITC top 100 perhaps have a little bit of a skill advantage versus people like you and I. Um, oh, for sure. I mean, it, it even shows in other metrics. If you look at like the average uh, game scores for these guys, mm-hmm. um, 
like the average the average player scored at a 24 uh, VP4, 24 against at LVO. Mm-hmm. Um, the average top 100 player was 29, 21. So they, and that's like with their losses included, they out they outscored their opponents by eight points on average. Wow. Um, Marine players almost by 11. Now that all being said, I mean, obviously there's a lot of uh, you know skill to be had. I myself have always been a big fan of net listing because I don't have the list building skill, I don't have the tabletop skill, and I just want to bring something that can maybe win me a few games. Love that double storm surge, triple riptide back in seventh. So what I want to ask you next here is, is the people who are in the you know these guys are just net listing power gamers? Do they have a point? Has that shown up in the numbers at all? That you know people who switch to say. Space Marines or Iron Hands maybe do get a little bit of a lift to their performance. Sure, yeah. The, um, there's a fellow that I, I talk to pretty frequently over on uh, Discord who took my stats and kind of did some some uh, number crunching uh, on my behalf. One of the things he looked at, this would have been about a, a month ago now, a few weeks before LBO, was he grabbed all of the records I had of players that uh, had played uh, different fractions prior to the uh, Iron Hands release, and then compared it to those player, like compared those self same players to themselves um, after switching to Iron Hands. Okay. Um, there was about ninety nine people uh, that I had in my file um, that you know pre October had uh, run something else, Eldar, whatever, mm-hmm. and then switched to Iron Hands. Um, so he took those ninety nine, he broke it down into quartiles uh, just to see how their win rates, uh, you know, worked out. Um, so the fourth quartiles are the best players, uh, that switched over. They went from a 77.3% win rate to a 76.5. And that kind of, uh, jives with what you're normally going to see with, you know, top end players, your Nick Nonavadis, your Nick Roses. There's, there's a, there's a ceiling that you're eventually going to hit where, you know, you're just not going to get better than that percentage point. And that's 75 to 80% is generally where you're going to see it, right? Because that's an average of one loss per event. Right. Um, so yes, your first quartile, uh, fourth quartile, definitely, you know, not much of a change, but that meant that they were staying on par given the the meta change, Mm -hmm. um, third quartile players. So, you know, that's that next 25, they went from an average win rate of about 63 to 68. So definitely saw a major improvement. Um, the crazy stuff is when you look at like the bottom performers. So your second quartile players went from about an average win rate of about a 52. So these guys are, you know, your median players, mm-hmm. uh, generally your two and your, you know, three and twos, your uh, three and threes. Your, your lunch uh, pail and hard hat GT goers just going in, getting yeah. games in. Yeah, they're not bad players. You know, they're not 0-5-ing everywhere. But right. uh, they went from a 52% to a 68% win rate on average. Wow. Okay. Um, and then finally, your bottom quartile um, switchers, they, these guys, uh, they had an average win rate of 31%. So the bottom 24, 25 guys, God 31% bless. win rate. God bless. Uh, you know, God bless them. They're doing their best. They bumped up to a 61. No. That's amazing. So they went, they went, they went to like a three and two record, basically? Or, yeah, or like even so they, four and one? they went to a consistent, you know, three and two when they were, you know, mostly a one and four. Um, when you compare that to just like regular quartiles for factions as a whole. And by the way, like this isn't how Iron Hands play out when you look at them as like an entire faction. Like mm-hmm. If you look at new players that come in with Iron Hands, like the bottom quartile for Iron Hands is still uh, about a well, it's about a 40 percent, which is extremely high when you compare it to anybody else. It's about right. Thirty nine. Um, but that's your normal bottom quartile if you don't 
account for you know people that have experience playing this game. Yeah. Um, but if you look at say the bottom quartile for Eldar players, it's like a 26, 27 percent, and they're essentially like the quote unquote second best faction. Right. Um, in the game right now, um, your bottom quartile for Chaos Space Marine players is like a 23 percent win rate. Um, so having a, you know, a group of guys, almost a hunt, well, uh, essentially a hundred of them come in at a 61, um, is absolutely absurd. It does show like the, the kind of power that Iron Hands brought in, yeah. um, to the game. Yeah. I so, don't know what else there's really to say on that. I think, I think that was a, a brilliant, uh, you know, data set that, to, to just dive through. I'm really glad we did it. Um. I think also, I think if there's a if there's a thesis point to this show is that you know good players work hard to be good, and you can get good apparently by well you can get better by net listing a little bit maybe switching <laughs> iron hands just play playing what's you know play legitimately what's good well, right? what's, play what hot but hot it definitely helps it yeah. definitely helps but also let's let's you know that top quartile they stayed top quartile and I think a lot of that and yeah maybe they juice their their performance by a percentage point or two but they didn't drop necessarily right or yeah. they and they, they also by made like half the switch. a point i think that's another big thing too is they made the switch right so like a top player is going to go to what works you know going to make yeah. that right strategic uh decision right so i don't know yep no and i and that's just that's just kind of i think how it's how it is in, in competitive play um i see i do see sometimes people get a, like there's a weird you know, sense of betrayal from some people, you know, cause they, you know, they love Tao and then right. they see Richard Siegler jumped iron hands and it's, it's like he stabbed them in the back over doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, people, I saw comments like people are like, I'm really disappointed that he switched, uh, to win the LVO. And it's like, well, you know, I like, hope there's some like really awesome freaky deaky, like anime, um, Tao artwork that comes out of that betrayal. Maybe like I'm, just getting I hope super not. edgy, like just something weird from the depths of the internet involving Richard Siegler. I'd like I, to see it. I would. I. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, that's bad. Some bad, bad juju you're you're putting out there, Val. Um, but, but yeah, anyway, I just think it's uh, very strange that uh, that people get that way because you know these guys are in it to win it, and uh, if if that's your goal, sometimes you need to make that switch until you know the game kind of resettles back to something a little better. I mean, Siegler's already said he's looking at switching either to Grey Knights or back to Tau in the near future, yeah. depending on how their their new like Psychic Awakening stuff plays out. So we'll have to see. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess uh, it's time that we got on with the show. Yeah. Let's do it. Tournament news is made possible by bestcoastpairings.com. Download the BCP TO app to organize events for just about any tabletop game system. Download the player app to easily find and participate in events from around the world. world. Subscribe to BCP for as little as $5 a month to support the team and unlock additional features available for iOS and Android. Bestcoastpairings.com. Competitive events easier welcome to cancon the australian culmination of the itc season positioned as the grand finale for the australian 40k circuit and officially dubbed the australian championship this year which is why you probably all had trouble finding it in best coast pairings cancon has a history of being a pretty devastating gauntlet of of an event unlike other majors that may cut to a top eight after two days of play cancon says no goes for a full eight rounds of 40k for everyone involved this year 182 of the sweatiest uh what do they call that kind of t-shirt that has no sleeves um a singlet 
Singlet, yeah, singlet-wearing players banded together for the Grand Bash, and every name from the competitive Australian meta was in attendance, outside of the handful that made their way over to Las Vegas instead. Um, we talked uh, in the LVO pre-show about Matt Morisoli, who mm-hmm. was flying over as he won the ITC for Australia last year. Um, he did go 5-1, and one, although he did take a pretty brutal arse-kicking to uh, Steve Pamperine in, I believe, round four of the event. Matt Morisoli um, um, also uh, went about 7-1, as in 7-foot-1. The guy's a monster. He is, uh, but he's, he's only 120, if you ask him. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. But anyway, uh, regardless of that, uh, we also had Simon Goykovich show up. He's the one of the founders of uh, Godhammer Gaming, uh-huh. um, and uh, I believe he, an ex member of the uh, Australian ETC team. He had a really good performance. He also went five and one. I believe his only loss was to John Lennon, who made it to the quarterfinals. And now, I mean, was of the course, only undefeated Australian of the of the weekend that we know of? Who was that? Adam Camilleri. Ah. Uh... Uh, yes, because he was in the booth with us. Anyway, uh, there were really no surprises at the top of the standings moving into the final day of games. Um, two-time previous winner, Jeremy Marigold Martino, he ended up in third place. He was running a mostly Death Watch list uh, with a little bit of Blood Angels in for Spice. Uh, last year's winner, Eric the Ladies' Man Lothuris, ended up going 6-0 and before taking his first loss, running 150 neophytes in his Gene Stealer cult list. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Lee the Bull Abbey ended up in second with just some good old Iron Hand stuff. Just take a look in your codex and take three of the things you like the most and make it Iron Hands. Alrighty. Well, before we move on to uh, to some of the, the finale details, I just want to direct anyone who's sort of intrigued about how a 150 neophyte-laden GSC list could have performed so well under the stewardship of Eric Lathuris. Please, go check out Art of War. It's fantastic. He's actually got two different episodes. He's got one about uh, his gaunt list with Tyranids, mm-hmm. and he's got his uh, most recent GSC I mean, you got to call it a triumph in this day and age, uh, doing what he did at CanCon. So, uh, moving along on this painful segue, we're going to go to the actual CanCon fi- uh, finals, uh, which would come down to Liam, the good Dr. Hackett's Flashkit Grunt Mob, taking on Chris T800 Wright's Brostralian take on what has been dubbed the Broviathan list. Much like most of the meta that has come face-to-face with that list, Hackett's Carpet of Grotz was not up to the task and fell just short to the inevitable force that is the Terminator. Let's settle a quick question here. Which list is crazier, Liam Hackett's or Eric Lathuris? Over to Liam for the answer. So obviously Eric Lathuris is uh, one of Australia's very, very best players and he has his own sort of special brand of crazy with the Tyranids. Um, I would say I am crazier and primarily because I took uh, approximately 300 models of a completely shite variety, that being Gretchen, toughness to absolute garbage and everything else. Um, I think in general Orc lists tend to be very extreme, so if the question is who's crazier out of Eric and I, I would uh, humbly put my hand up to say that that would be me. the Gretchen Horde in general is a very, very different beast to a gaunt carpet, primarily because its durability is only in its weight of bodies. The actual bodies themselves have absolutely no quality, and your durability primarily comes from advancing, charging, getting in combat, and using tricks to survive rather than the inherent durability of models like Plague Bearers or Zangors or things like that. So in terms of raw craziness, scale of crazy from 1 to 10, I take the cake. 
So before we go into the hive mind mentality that comes from you know multiple players across the world somehow coming up with the same archetype simultaneously, um, I think we do need to talk a little bit about Liam Hackett and this absolutely ridiculous list. It's an insane list that he has, you know, it's premeditatedly insane. Like he's been working on this carpet of grots for a long time and also went through extensive uh, uh, amount of effort to get the flash gets to include in it as well. Yeah, and I if that was the to be honest when I was looking uh, taking a look at it, that was the first thing that popped out at me. I didn't even like I kind of like I always do when I look at orc lists, I kind of gloss over the the Gretchen because I just just, you know, oh, there's Gretchen in the list. There has to be. And it was only after I was like, well, where is all the points that I went back and was like, oh, there's way more Gretchen than normal in this list. Yeah. <laughs> just just a lot more. I mean, uh, Nick Rose did run, what, like 500 Gretchen at ETC last year, I believe it was. So, like, we've seen something like this in the past. But uh, this is, a you know, a pretty pretty decent extreme for what's essentially, an, you know, an ITC. Well, it is an ITC event. Yes. And, I mean, uh, we should also remind folks of the fact that, uh, you know, there were some prominent players, uh, one might say, uh, Nick Nanavati, who was basically saying that he believed that um, the best list that you could have brought in the meta that revealed itself would have been like the 300 Gaunt list that Eric Lothoris once ran, or uh, maybe uh, 300 Grots. What do you think? Actual Liam Hackett. Yeah, so I think Nick and a number of other people were quite uh, curious about whether or not the true Horde meta would actually be a counter to Marines. I don't think they were wrong. I, I actually disagree with that. And I think the answer is not is horde the counter to the marine meta the answer is what can you add to a horde list actually make it more effective at countering marines um for example my experience at cancon where i lost to chris and uh, lee abby both playing iron hands i felt like i wasn't so much let down by the horde component of my list but rather the other things i had put in there to supplement the horde something i'm definitely going to be working on i think horde is really hard for marines to actually counter for a number of reasons and the fact that their shooting is such high quality uh, and i think that hordes actually still uh, retains that inherent durability that comes from weight of bodies that I think Marines is actually uh the Marines actually sometimes struggle to fight I disagree that I think they were wrong well um if you look at uh, Jeff Poole's performance who you know ran um 120 boys uh, a bunch of tank busters and a whole ton of grots um you could see it, it definitely panned out for him um Anthony Birdsong um I've mentioned on a couple podcasts now he I was the I believe the only player at LVO to only play Marines for all six rounds <laughs> he went five and one um, his list was was 150 boys, 150 grots, and you know three sags, three weird boys. That was essentially it. Right. Um, like the whole point was, here's just 300 bodies you have to get through that I can teleport around. Um, meanwhile, I'm you know pump, pumping out you know, 15 smites, a, uh, 15 mortal wounds of smites a turn, and uh, shooting uh, big giant lasers at you that you can't get at because there's you know 300 bodies in the way. And one of the, I think one of the one of the pioneers of the three giant lasers behind a bunch of stuff was in fact Liam Hackett. He was one of the first guys, anyway. I noticed running, um, you know, the three triple uh, shock attack guns, uh, maybe even pre relic. Uh, but I might be pouring that on too too much. I think you are, but um, definitely uh, the first signs of uh, triple sag uh, were from the kind of Australian meta, particularly out of Liam. I, I noticed them as well back in like the brizcon days etc so how upset do you think liam is by the fact that he went uh you know nine grueling rounds 
essentially made it that crawled his way to the top table. Had a shot. I don't know if he would have be if he would have uh, you know pulled it out in the end. Spoilers. Uh, you know if he would have been able to leapfrog even because he would have tied on on record uh, with Chris with, you know, five other people uh, because there yes, were a lot right, of uh, seven and ones. ones yes um, I believe he he would have needed a, a really good game against Chris mm -hmm. um, a high scoring one uh, but it was definitely not outside the realm of probability um, by any means basically what I'm trying to say here is that you know Jeff Poole you know, got you know yeah, he he did great. He did really amazing. He made top eight at LVO. It's a historic moment. But he immediately loses and goes home and hits the buffet. You know, like he's done. Meanwhile, yeah. Liam Hackett is in Australia in the summertime, sweating his balls off. I'm sure, mm -hmm. and uh, you know loses on top table. And does anyone care? You know, if it's this happened like three weeks ago. You know, no one cares about the Australian meta. Least of all Pablo. Mm. It's it's basically like Florida to him. It's essentially Florida. It is like it is the droopy balls to the Florida meta. I think that's exactly what it is. Why don't we uh, take a listen to what Liam has to say on the matter? I was not mad at all with Jeff Poole's performance. In fact, I was actually one of the people who, while I was at CanCon, I was checking the results and rooting for him every step of the way. Um, I think that Orcs are really struggling at the moment in the meta, um, particularly a list like Jeff's, actually, I think is a... Uh, uh, should be applauded for doing as well as it did. Uh, clearly has a good pilot behind it. Um, I don't think that Jeff's success is anything short of extraordinary, and I think he should be applauded for it. As far as uh, whether or not um, I'm upset about uh, toiling in anonymity with my uh, fungus farm down here, uh, not at all. I think uh, working on some powerful things in quiet uh, is a merit to itself. I look forward to, um, to be blunt, I hope to surprise some people in the August of uh, 2020 with some Gretchen-related lists, one might say. But look, we'll find out. All right, well, that was a little bit surprising. I thought maybe Liam was slightly more hard done by, but surely he's going to be quite salty about the state of the Orc meta and where that book has been left by the vile Space Marine meta that we have been crushed underneath. I will always go out of my way to try and pioneer some Orc stuff. Um, I think the, uh, to be perfectly frank, the bland nature of a lot of Orc players' lists is really disappointing. I mean, our codex has so much awesomeness in it. I, I really think that it should be played in a lot of more, a lot of a more diverse ways. I think it can be competitive in the current meta. I think it should be competitive in the current meta, and I, I look forward to trying to prove that. Um, I really enjoy talking, I guess, with anyone who wants to have a chat about competitive list design because there's more books than just orcs that really should be a bit more diverse. Um, and I think it's up to the players to really try and make that happen on a competitive level. Um, Val, if you ever want to talk shit, talk productively, talk horribly, um, talk about Adam Camilleri, please uh, hit me up. I'm happy to tell you all the juicy stuff. Well, for some reason, Liam hasn't really taken the bait uh, on any of the topics I've been trying to bring him out with, and he seems to be positive and constructive, and maybe, maybe if anything, he'll take me up on calling Australia the droopy balls of the Florida meta, which is harsh, granted, but I mean, it's the only way we get content. So let's see, is Liam really all that upset about the credit that Australia gets? out there in the 40k community. As a real closing remark, I just wanted to say that, look, I think that over time, the world competitive 40k scene is growing and becoming uh, more diverse, and I'm really enjoying it, but probably at a higher rate, the Australian scene is really becoming an incredibly competitive environment. And to be frank, anyone who thinks differently uh, needs to reevaluate those choices. 
Um, I really hope that the Australian team this year at the uh, World Team Championships can uh, tear some shit up, to be perfectly honest, and prove uh, that statement to the rest of the world. And I look forward to uh, speaking to you again, Val. Have a good night, everyone. Bye-bye. The shot heard round the world. If you think differently about Australia having some competitive players, then you might have to reevaluate your choices. Falcon, I need to sit down after that smack talk. But now I think we should really move on to the actual event winner and uh, the latest addition, actually, to Team Australia 2020, Chris Wright. Um, Chris, this year, he had a really amazing 2019 season. Uh, he won multiple events, and not just with the, like a singular faction. Uh, Chris is well known for basically uh, hopping factions uh, very quickly and performing well with all of them. Um, he uh, won events this year with uh, Eldar, Craftworld, and Drukari. Um, with uh, Death Watch. Uh, I believe he had a couple of really good performances with uh, Mono Guard and with Space Marines. He always seems to be on the, the cutting edge of the, the current meta, and it's not something you, you frequently see out of, uh, out of Australia. A lot of the guys there, just due to the custom models and other factors, kind of tend to stick to the same thing, uh, event to event. Uh, but Chris is one of the few that he doesn't care. He swings for the fences every time. Now, the interesting thing about Chris's list this year is how similar it is to the Broviathan list that took the LVO by storm with just a handful of modifications. Now, keep in mind that these are two events happening on the same weekend with list cutoffs and at roughly the same time. Am I right about the list cutoff, Pete? Yeah, you're 100% correct. Um, th this is uh, kind of a, you know, one of those uh, great things that happens when, you know, good, great minds uh, figure out list you know opposite sides of the world and it just happened to be around the exact same time similar to you know when edison created the light bulb there were right. probably five or six other people also making light bulbs he just ran to the patent office the fastest you know or in a much more succinct idiom uh great minds think alike the list I, acts i don't work that way for all intents and purposes in the same manner as the Brohammer one and i may actually like this one a little bit more uh so my friend uh connor keen and i had been <clears throat> testing a lot of different Space Marine builds, um, but we found that almost everything uh, was vulnerable to going second against a Marine gun line, particularly if they rolled hot. So I wanted an army that had enough resilience to withstand one of these Alpha Strikes, and I really wanted to have something with a good board presence. Uh, and I think the reason I came to such a similar list to the Brohammer guys is because Iron Hands Intercessors does this so much better than everything else. Um, and then another benefit of being Iron Hands is you can take an unkillable Dreadnought, so I was tossing up between a Relic Contemptor and a Leviathan. Uh, but the rest of the list really lacks volume of fire, and the Leviathan does such a good job of controlling a section of the board that um, I decided to go with that. There were a few differences in the list, though. Um, so I had some Thunderfires where the Brohammer guys didn't, and I think that's largely just because um, I'm playing in the Australian meta. Uh, in Australia, you always expect some of the top players to be on Horde lists, so I think the Thunderfire cannons were a must for me. Um, the other thing was the Impulsor that uh, Connor and I had. Um, so I just love an Impulsor. They do so many different things in so many matchups. Um, one thing I like to do is put the Eliminators in them. So I had two units for Eliminators. Uh, it really makes it hard for your opponent to avoid uh, them because they get essentially a 20-inch um, move, which means they're either hiding like right behind a Ruin or I can reach them. Um, you can also make the Impulsor an Engineer's unit, put some Intercessors in it, and they can be your other Engineers. That can be really hard to shift, and they're just great at scoring objectives, recon, bonus points, and if you get 
and says it's going down to one model or something, they can do a great job of uh, denying that kill. Alrighty, Pete. So there's the man himself with the uh, the the upside Aussie version of the Broviathan list. What are your thoughts on the addition of the Impulsor and the Thunderfires? Um, I'm a big fan of the Thunderfires. I think, um, if especially if you talk to some of the other Brohammer guys, Siegler himself mentioned he didn't feel that the Chaplain Dreads um, did as much work as he wanted them to, and he and uh, if he were to modify the list, he would drop one or two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so seeing you know other people do just that, drop a, a Chaplain Dread um, to add in extra tech, I think is a great idea. Uh, two Thunderfire cannons. Thunderfire cannons are amazing. I think everybody knows that. Um, it gives you some extra protection against, um, you know, uh, fast-moving um, infantry lists, uh, you know, just by being able uh, able to slow them down. Right. But like Chris said, it's also uh, extra tech against hordes. Um, I mean, you're not going to deal with 300 grots with two Thunderfire cannons, um, but you're going to, you know, pick up that that few extra models uh, that a, a singular Chaplain Dread in, in your background shooting two uh, LAS cannons are, are going to pick up. And, and that's, a, that's a big deal. Yeah. Um, and the Impulsor... Uh, that's the one that I don't agree with him on as much. I love the, the like his reasoning for it, using it to uh, give extra threat range on eliminators, um, engineers, etc. It all makes perfect sense. Uh, I just find, and I, this may be because the North American meta is so different, um, you're always got to be afraid of that like Imperial Fist list that you're going to run into that just picks up the Impulsor with you know one set of Thunderfire Cannon or you know uh, Rapier Carrier shots. Um, and then, you know, you just you know gave him essentially a free kill because it's the essentially the only targetable vehicle in your list. Right. But I mean, like, I don't think we can, you know, fully steer clear of all vehicles, uh, you know, just because of that one potential counter. And, you know, I, 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 I granted, I, I get your point, but even just having one does limit really how much they can get out of that keyword. Uh, and even there's a list later on where we see two in a similar uh, list list design. I kind of like the the move to the impulsor for a lot of the reasons why the players say. And also because I'm a dummy, never once did it occur to me that eliminators could go in a transport. <laughs> yeah, that is because you're a dummy. Now the one thing about the Braviathan list is that it's uh, it's really good at killing other Marines and elite armies in general, uh, while still putting a hurt on most other big lists that you see in the current meta. Um, that being said, as the good doctor mentioned earlier, um, it does need to work a smidge harder against the right horde setups. Uh, according to Chris, though, not that much harder. After feeding, defeating his friend and teammate uh, Lee Abbey in round six, uh, Wright would have to barrel through Eric Lathuris's neophyte horde in round seven to make it to the final. My uh, toughest game over the weekend was definitely the one against uh, Eric Lathuris, so he's a fantastic player. I'm sure many people have uh, heard of him. Um, so he was on a Gene Seal Occult Horde with tons and tons of neophytes with the mining lasers. So that was a really interesting match. Um, my, my list is really designed to beat other Space Marine lists, but of course I've got a lot of intercessors in there, which are good against hordes, really makes it hard for them to uh, pressure me combat-wise. And this has got a better codex than him, so... Um, it was, yeah, really interesting match. I got up by one point. Um, I think the fact that my list denies secondaries so well was was the key to that. Um, he really had a hard time picking and scoring secondaries, whereas I was able to just take Reaper and Engineers and uh, something else and, you know, score most of mine. But it was a, yeah, really f- a fantastic close game. In general, I think the idea of using Hordes to counter Space Marines is... It's got some merit, but I think most Space Marine lists, even though they're not designed to beat Hordes, 
have some tools in there. So my list had lots of intercessors. Other lists that don't have lots of bodies tend to have some pretty high rate of fire weapons. Like you might have some repulses which get just a billion guns on there. The, the planes have lots of shots. So I think, yeah, there, there's some merit to the idea. But in general, Space Marine lists are going to have incidentally some things which deal with hordes and that's going to make it really tough for them and that kind of showed over the weekend so the, the really good horde players Eric Lathuris and Liam Hackett did quite well um, but they still they still had a tough tournament. That just about wraps up our coverage of CanCon uh, the culmination of the Australian 40k ITC season and although we as Australians might say took the piss a little bit and probably didn't use the C word nearly as much as they would have liked. I think it goes without saying that the Australian Meta's got a lot of really interesting things going on, and much like how they've evolved a lot of independent species that are kind of like animals that we have, except a little bit weird and messed up in a combination of lizards and mammals and marsupials and things. Wolves and spiders. Exactly. Look, I'm rambling a little bit, but the point is that... Australia matters in the meta and it's filled with a lot of good blokes and you know they pay a lot more for models than we do and let's just let's cut him some slack and you know this Chris guy who just won CanCon he's a super nice guy we're gonna let him have the last word is that cool with you Falcon it's always cool with me even uh two weeks later I still can't believe that I managed to make my way through all eight rounds of CanCon undefeated um yeah, so excited to have won such a big tournament. And that um, put me in first place for Australia ITC for the 2019 season, which wins me a ticket to the LVO next year. So I'll see a lot of you guys there. Very excited for that. Um, and I'd like to say a big thanks to my friend and testing partner, Connor Keane, who really helped me with the list. Uh, Josh McMillan gave me some great uh, advice with with um, some of the ways I could use the Impulsor. And uh, lots of people supported me on my way. My parents were always really, really fantastic. So thanks for that. Tournament news. Hey, everybody. I'm Paul Murphy from Forge the Narrative, and you're listening to 40K Stat Center. As they say, while the cats are away, the mice will play. Such was the case this last weekend when all the boys and girls that had their invitations lost to the Belgian team t- championships made their way to Burnmouth for the annual Beachhead Brawl event. Another shocking Six-round event in the European scene. Bravo, bravo. Beachhead was the first real major to come out after the LVO and the first to include the new rules for Grey Knights, Thousand Suns, and Dark Angels. Wow. And what rules those are? I mean, Dark Angels are hot, aren't they, Pete? Yeah. I mean, uh, they got um, they got good talent masters. They're good. First question, did you write the additional rules for Dark Angels and Psychic Awakening, true or false, you are the Recio's version of Dark Angels? I mean, I'll neither confirm nor deny that I had anything to do with um, uh, one of the more mediocre Psychic Awakening releases for a particular faction. That's fair enough. Well, there are many other less mediocre releases in that, most of them contained in the Grey Knight section, and that sigh of relief you heard from around the world was the 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 oxygen going back into the lungs of Grey Knights players far and wide after the boot of underpoweredness was removed from their chest that has been in place basically since 7th edition. So it's fantastic. There's maybe a competitive build, possibly, and we're going to hear about it a little bit later. 
Yeah, for sure. No, Grey Knights definitely got quite the boost. Thousand Suns saw uh, like probably way more rules than I think most Thousand Suns players thought they would see. You know, essentially getting their own list of sub factions, uh, stratagems, warlord traits, etc. And I mean, Dark Angels they got Talon Masters to be good again. They already were great. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, a couple little tricks, but I don't think they're going to see the exact same impact um, that our Grey Knight and Thousand Suns player, uh, players will see in yes. the meta. Yeah. Um, now, this year, uh, at the Bournemouth Beachhead Brawl, there would be two undefeated tables going into the last round as Vic the Vindicator VJ's Brexithiathan. Brexithiathan? Like, I, I don't know. It's, I want. I wanted to make a Brexit joke. It's real hard, though. I feel bad. It's pretty, pretty good. Anyway, as I was saying, Vic's list would browbeat Malik, Amin, the Dream, Rubio's Imperial Fists, and Lawrence, the Spider, Baker's Grey Knights would banish Greg, Champagne Room, Chamberlain, Chamberlain's Possessed <laughs> Bomb. Both would end up undefeated, giving perennial favored Vic the win on tiebreakers and battle points and the current top spot in the ITC three minutes into the season. So we sat with Vic to talk about what it takes to pick up a known quantity like the Broviathan list and make it your own. Over to you, Vic. Hey guys, Vic here. Happy to be on the show again. And I'm just going to be talking about my time at the Beachhead Brawl this past weekend. Um, it was a very, very well-run event. I really had a very great time. Uh, it was only slightly marred by the fact that I disappointed a lot of my friends and family by bringing a very filthy Iron Hands list. Uh, essentially, I took the LVO winning list and made a few small modifications to it. And uh, Val's just asked me if I could run through my justification for why I made a few of those changes. So here we go. Essentially, the main change I made to the list was dropping one of the Chaplain Venerable Dreadnoughts and a few of the Intercessors in order to run a couple of Impulses. Um, I did a little bit of testing with the list before I went into the tournament, and I found that the Impulses just added a little bit of extra flavor to the list. Um, they let you hide the Eliminators on turn one, which extends a little bit of their threat range because they can disembark after the impulse was moved. So you can get some nice angles for direct shots if that's the way you want to play the game. Now, I never actually did that, but the threat of it was enough to cause people to deploy a little bit differently. Um, the other thing that you could do is also play a little bit more cagey and actually hide a bit more because you have a very long reach to get objectives if you're going second for the hold more in ITC missions. Um, and thirdly, it's a really brilliant screen against Raven Guard and Blood Angels. And I knew there were a few very good players who were bringing those two armies. In terms of strategies to how to actually counter this list, seeing as uh, it's probably going to pop up all over the place um, for the next month or so, I would say that you've got two approaches. One is to capitalize on uh, your opponent's mistakes, kind of like what we've just spoken about. And the other one is probably to especially if you have an aggressive army, let's say a Chaos Possessed Bomb, Eldar with Seer Council, multiple Shining Spears unit, just be very aggressive and really hit hard with everything at once and try and take apart the list um, and leave him with very, a very small number of assets from a very early point of the game when you have a list that can also assert some kind of board control. It can be very hard for the Iron Hands list to catch up on points in that case. Um, otherwise, 
it's always going to be a tough one. Um, and you just got to grind it out and hope you can get something out of that game. All right, Pete. So now we've gotten two distinct scenarios. We've got the Breviathan list or the Australian list, whatever you want to call it, both evolving in separate continents um, based on some pretty core list concepts that are you know the same or similar. Now you've got Vic who's uh, bringing in his own flavor to it, you know, basically, you know, improving on its design and his view and making it work for himself. How far do you think this list go? Is, is, is that, is the Leviathan, the new Castellan? I don't know if it's the new Castellan. I think I like to liken it to, and what I, well, what I assume it'll end up being is, is very similar to, um, after BAO, um, not last year, but the year before when Don Hoosen won with his, um, renegade Knight um, Blight Lord Terminator combo. Right. Um, that was a list that saw a lot of replay, um, mainly because it was a relatively, I'm not going to say simple because I don't want to insult Don. Um, but you know, the, the concept was simple. This is what these things do and it works. So you got, you saw it get copied by a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, after that win, I think you're going to see something very similar here. I mean, the list is obviously devastating. It's very hard to counter. Um, but I mean, we're talking and- about, we're talking about three majors, one, through one, two, three, the same list yeah. archetype, yeah. right? Like, no, so like, I know. Who's and, list um, anything we're like We're going that. to be talking about another one where it top tabled. So, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a devastating list. I think the big thing to come out of this is going to be, um, you know, where the meta is right now, Raven Garter, I definitely have a chance against it because, uh, you know, Vic kind of mentions it at the end. Here's how I think you beat it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other thing is, is that we have, um, a big FAQ coming in two months. And I would imagine what you'll see um, leading up to that FAQ, if it happens, is people uh, trying to create lists that um, are not the Leviathan list simply because they have a whole rest of the season they have to play through um, with an assumption that that list is going to get hit Um, just because it performed so well and it continues to do so, right? It's not like... Uh, you know, GW isn't completely blind to how these things work. Um, so if you see that that list show up and on stream, on their own stream, it's, you know, soaks whatever the the final tally was from Brad's last hurrah where he put like 40 some odd wounds into the Leviathan and right. it only took three sure. or whatever the end result was. Um, that's something where hopefully, you know, the right people looked and you see a change come, come April. I mean, the, rea- the reality is, way. though, that I mean that, you know... We have, I mean, it's not that it's impossible, and I, and I like to remind folks that it is in, entirely with their control and infinite wisdom to make changes to the game at any time, but they've committed to their twice-a-year uh, schedule. Uh, they seem to have been a little bit slow on a couple things recently for whatever reason, so I don't think we're seeing an update before, say, Adepticon. And Adepticon, um, you know, other large events notwithstanding, is kind of, you know, the, 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 uh, the air horn to the start, really, of the new ITC season. And For so sure. we're, we're going to see, you know, just like it was obvious that something was going to change when when the uh, the Tyranid uh, Hive Tyrant list was bombing around with, you know, seven or eight Hive Tyrants. Um, you know, we didn't know when it was going to change. Well, we knew when it was going to change. We didn't know how it was going to change. So we don't know what they're going to do. And they're probably not going to do it before a lot of important events happen. So if you're a person who just needs to add a Leviathan to maybe pick up a GT or Major... I think we're going to be seeing this archetype a lot. So are there any counters yeah. outside of Ravengard that, you know, uh, which, you know, again, may or may not actually even work that, you know, think actually has legs against this? 
really, I think Vic nail, uh, hits the nail on the head. You got to wait for a mistake and hope for the best um, outside of maybe that Raven guard bomb where you constantly hit hit the opponent and because you, you have to clear all those intercessors, right? To beat this list, those intercessors need to all be dead. Um, as we saw, you know, even and even then you can run into trouble because uh, if, uh, if you watch our stream when Manny Chima plays John Lennon, he kills all the intercessors by like turn three. Right. Um, but then the Leviathan mixed with the Apothecary and uh, Iron Father Pharaohs just survive the rest of the shooting for three full rounds. Um, I guess what I'm trying to get at is if we look at in, in terms of maybe not seeing this, uh, at least I hope we don't see this as being too crazy other than Adepticon. I bet it'll be everywhere mm-hmm. um, is if you look at uh, LVO. Uh, last year, right? Not not the one, but the one prior, just prior to LVO, uh, people said um, LVO is the last gasp for Inari. Right. Um, it was said by playtesters and some other and some others, and uh, those same uh, some of those same playtesters said the same thing about the Castlin. Right. And what you saw all around LVO, other than LVO itself, right, um, was a dip in Castlin play, and a dip in Inari play. Um, both of the, uh, and Ari significantly went down to about like 3% of the meta up until the LVO. Um, and the Castlin dropped probably about five or six percentiles as well. And that was mainly because, you know, people in the know said this list is dead mm-hmm. once this major event happens. Now it, it ended up being a little bit longer than that for both, but it wasn't that much longer. Um, and so in my mind, my hope is that we see something similar where someone says, you know, Hey guys, you have to realize this is a known com- uh, commodity now maybe start thinking outside the box uh, in preparation for when this dies. Um, but like you just said, if you're looking to, you know, snag a, a top performance at a GT or a major, this list definitely does look to be the one to beat. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think you've actually missed perhaps the uh, best counter uh, that could be imagined, uh, which would be um, thousands of adoring fans, the perfect widow's peak hairline and three day old stubble. All right. As promised, we are now joined by Lawrence Baker of TabletopTactics.tv fame and also uh, of, of, of recent tournament acclaim. Mr. Baker, what happened this past weekend? Where were you? Uh, I was at, thank you for the introduction, by the way, Val. It's a pleasure to be on your show. <laughs> uh, so I was at the uh, Bournemouth Grand Tournament, which is uh, in the UK, uh, by literally uh, by the beach. And it was called Beachhead Assault. So it was rather appropriately named. Well, that, that is wonderful. There's, a, there's a, a nice quote from Snatch about English beaches, which I won't repeat here. <laughs> I'm glad you picked that one up. Again, it was a real tournament, too. Now, it, they called it a grand tournament, but it was damn near 100 people, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think uh, 101 uh, turned up on the Saturday and uh, about 96 finished or something in that region. So uh, six rounds, uh, fast and furious, four games on the Saturday and uh, two games on the Sunday. So, yeah, pretty pretty much uh, as big as you can get in terms of um, an ITC major uh, by UK standards, uh, bar the, of course, the London Grand Tournament. I think it must be the certainly the biggest uh, that we've had this year so far. Now, six rounds in the United Kingdom. I mean, were they handing out like orange slices so that people didn't <laughs> didn't get lightheaded? Were, were, were there stretchy yeah, bearers around? There was lots of tea, of course, uh, being uh, shared around some scones, you know, um, your classic, uh, your classic uh, stereotypical uh, English things to get us by through the uh, the day. I have to admit, after the fourth game on the Saturday, I was wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And I mean, uh, stiff upper lip and all that. And you guys pulled through. I'm really proud of you here on Stat Center. We we have been advocating for you know there not to be four or five winners of a of, of UK Grand tournaments and majors. So I'm glad to see this time there were only two, and <laughs> one of them was Lawrence Baker, my man. Really, really pleased to see it because you were trotting out uh, the beloved Hammers of Titan. Yeah, that's right. The old Grey Knights. They've uh, come out of the warp from nowhere, it seems. I mean, that's what happens when you come out from the warp. I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but, you know, just it's kind of the thing. That's, that's what it's about. I mean, uh, Drago just sort of appears wherever he's needed, and he was needed, I'm not sure, not in your list, uh, but why don't, no. we, why don't we touch on that? What were you running uh, with uh, the new Psychically Awakened? Because, I mean, they were pretty woke already on the psychic stuff, but now they're even more woke. What yeah, well, I mean, it's funny, actually, because I, I, I always felt that they were distinctly asleep before Psychic Awakening, <laughs> even in the psychic phase. <laughs> uh, but certainly Psychic Awakening has really brought them up to speed, uh, competitively speaking, which is great. Um, I sort of took a, the, the whole of the last year out of the tournament scene. Mm -hmm. uh, I was too busy uh, building a studio. Um, but prior to that, I did try and make the Grey Knights work. Uh, during the early 8th edition days, and it was just not a good look. It really wasn't. But mm -hmm. uh, now with these new rules, all of a sudden you can, and a couple of the points drops over the last couple of uh, ch chapter approved, it's uh, really, really worked out for them. So the premise of the list was um, why take one Paladin bomb when you can take two? Um, so I did a little bit of playtesting. Right. Uh, quickly identified that. Not on uh, the Paladin channel, by the way. Which I've been I've been feverishly waiting for. You we posted a, a narrative report. And I'm like, what know, is he gonna do with his Grey Knights? I know, and I saw your comment on on social media. You're like, Grey Knights finally get some good rules, and you post a narrative report. Because <laughs> you didn't want to tip no, your I hand. I've been filming some Grey Knights. Don't worry, I've done some uh, competitive ITC yeah. reports with them. They just haven't been released yet. Glad to hear uh, it. Which is kind of cool, actually, because you'll see. A bit of the development how i got to the list that i've taken mm -hmm. um i also did a couple of um off-camera games where we just proxied things like your classic uh, chaplain dreads and yeah. you know the boogeyman lists against iron hands and stuff and uh, i basically quickly came to the realization that one paladin bomb was brilliant um but if i could get two in uh and then fuel them fuel them with enough cp via a dual battalion that that should give me the resilience I need to sort of uh, last the, f uh, the first couple of turns and then get to the point where I've got board control and I've uh, I've taken out enough of the enemy units to um, start scoring the uh, the points to win the game. Yeah. Um, and it turns out that hey, that that worked pretty well. So <laughs> absolutely. Uh, six games later, and I managed to um, get second place. Yeah, and I mean, just looking at the battle points, clearly you got you were you were playing the mission uh, rather tightly. What sort of um, you know secondary objectives were you selecting? Because it was an ITC event. It was. It was indeed. Yeah. So it, I mean, it would typically depend on my matchup, of course. Um, but uh, you know, I did I did face some of the boogeyman lists. Like I did the uh, Raven Guard 16th Centurion list. Uh, obviously, I took Gangbusters against him. He had a lot of characters with Thunderfire Cannon, so I'd head, I had Headhunter. Um, I picked old school, funnily enough, quite a bit hmm. uh, in a lot of my matchups, uh -huh. mainly because you've got uh, a power called Astrolane, which is really fantastic at taking out like an encamped little five-man scout unit or a five-man older ranger unit, which usually is sitting on an objective 
behind an L-shaped building. Mm -hmm. Um, But with Astrolame, I was able to just go, well, I don't need line of sight and I'm ignoring your cover. And I'll just put my storm bolters from this gated Terminator unit, uh, Paladin unit rather, uh, into that unit and then kill them, getting first strike very easily and taking you off of an objective, which otherwise you would try and hold for the majority of the game. So it was really, really useful. Fantastic. And were you were you starting, you know, both halves of that Paladin coin on the table or were those oh, yes. things you bring it? Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. Dude, this is an all in list. It's not for the faint of heart. You, <laughs> you're either there to play or you go home. That's it. The Paladins are on the board. <laughs> both. So so immediately when you think about like, uh, you know, why not do two Paladin bombs? Well, obviously, because you can't put, you know, all of your resources into both bombs. You got you know, a lot of stratagems are used to buff, a lot of psychic powers used to buff, especially on the defensive side. So how were you managing that? Like, wouldn't wouldn't people just sort of kill the one that wasn't all powered up and juiced? Well, that's the beauty of because uh, a couple of things which work really really well generally in an ITC format anyway. Uh, first thing is you're generally going to have um, you know there's a couple of L shaped blocks of terrain in the middle, and you you usually have you know some line of sight blocking either in your deployment zone or you can deploy in such a way that you can mitigate a lot of the enemy firepower. So. I've effectively found I could start both the Paladin units on the board, and even if I didn't go first, they would typically target one unit, and I would be in Tide of Shadow, so if I'm in cover, I'm a minus one to hit, and I have an effective one-plus save on those Paladins. Uh, And then on top of that, you can go, right, transhuman physiology, so now you're only wounding me on fours. Uh, If they then wanted to then start targeting the other paladin unit i would just rely on the first turn of of having my cover and the minus one to hit and that generally worked fine if you instead go first what you do is you cast armored resilience on one so it's a minus one to wound them yeah and then you cast sanctuary on the other unit and then you fling the the minus one to wounds unit up into the person's grill. Um, and uh, if they choose to target the, the other unit, you just put transhuman physiology on them. So between the two units, you're actually really quite buffed up. Yeah. It's really quite hard to shift them. There's also it's a double battalion and you've mm-hmm. got uh, you've got the strike squads. You were bringing uh, five man uh, Falchion uh, uh, kitted out units of strikes. And right. the strike is pretty cool, especially in the in the two damage smite world, um, exactly. uh, because you know it, it's pretty damage dealy in the uh, in the psychic phase. It's they've got a bunch of storm bolters, which is great, and now the, and they can also fight in combat. So I mean they're yeah. kind of a triple threat. What were they doing for you uh, throughout the games uh, aside from filling out those battalions? Well, I, I, I mean, this should, this really will help sort of fill out the tactics of how the list works. Another thing I sort of discovered in playtesting is that Stripe Marines are actually pretty good value for their points uh, with the new Tide rules, but they're obviously very vulnerable. They're just a one wound Space Marine, right? And when you're playing in a meta where there are a lot of ignore line of sight weapons like Thunderfire Cannons and Whirlwinds, uh, you can't afford to have those guys start on the board. You know, there mm. are some matchups where you can obviously uh like i played a, a possessed bomb in the in the sixth game and he didn't have that much firepower so i was able to just start the strikes on the board but generally you need to have enough units on the board and points 
to ensure that all six units of strike marines can start in reserve. Yeah. So what I did is I fueled my two paladin bombs. You need a lot of characters to get all of the powers you need to fuel them. So I took a chaplain, a librarian, a brother captain for the double range smites. Uh, I took Grandmaster Voldus because he's like a librarian and uh, a Grandmaster all rolled into one, so yep. lots of extra powers. Uh, and then I took an apothecary to help uh, keep the uh, uh, the paladins alive. Uh, and when you start all of those um, units on the board, that actually gives you enough room to put the six units of strikes in reserve yeah. and then keep them protected. So you can clear the enemy screens first and then bring strikes in to take out the artillery in turn two. Right. And were you facing a lot of that indirect fire? Because, you know, things things like the, you know, Thunderfire cannons and, and, and you know, whirlwinds that you were referring to, they tend to just, you know, annihilate, especially, I don't know, did you run into any, any Imperial Fists that are ignoring the cover, that benefit that you have? Yeah, so I didn't, I didn't play Imperial Fists. I have played them in play testing. Um, the cover is a funny one because... Generally speaking, even if they are ignoring the cover, starting with a base two up save is really quite good. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm also able, if they do have the two damage whirlwinds, I'm able to actually put a strat on the paladins for a minus one damage, yeah. which is really neat. Re and, you know, when you're talking three wound terminators effectively, it actually takes them a, a lot of firepower to start chewing through my unit. Yeah, it's inefficient, um, right? Because, you know, you're not, you know, every every two wound scars, you so you're losing losing a bit of damage effectiveness. So that feels good. Yeah, absolutely. So it does feel good. Um, so, yeah, I did face a fair bit of indirect fire, even when I did an elder matchup uh, at the GT as well, and he had three night spinners. Um, and I was absolutely able to just negate their effectiveness. Um, they just couldn't chew through the paladins fast enough, uh, and so yeah, the palad the double paladin bomb was was really really resilient. Actually, I was really impressed with it. So true or false? You're coming into the final round. You're five and zero. Oh, you're feeling pretty cool. Uh, you got your your tabletop tactics T-shirt on. You've been signing people's shirts and stuff throughout the day, and then you see possessed bomb uh, yeah. matchup. Like, do you give yourself a little fist bump? You you, you just do you just clock that one as a W? Just walking up to the table, or or did or did a game did a game incur? Because I I've always assumed that like once we saw this psychic awakening, that was the end of of possessed bomb nonsense. Did that actually yeah. turn out to be true? That did turn out to be true. I mean, uh, the the guy that was piloting the possessed bomb, lo uh, long time uh, chaos player Greg. He's he's a great player. He knew his army very well, but I mean, he said as well immediately. He's like, this is a terrible matchup for me, and honestly, that was just fluke of all of the last matchups to have game six you know in that sort of final and it's he's got a possessed bomb with three plague burst crawlers and a thousand suns supreme command yeah and i'm like it's a gift to me you know like i'm doing four damage smites for fun here so <laughs> you yeah. Know, yeah it was it was a rough matchup for him because they got a lot of demon keyword but no actual demons so they don't have uh the, the, he didn't have access to the the weird anti-gray knight stratagem and stuff yeah so. well, i just bring a unit back exactly you know so he he just he had uh none of the benefits and i had all of them so uh yeah, yeah it was very unfortunate so outside of that, so you, so you had a bit of a layup in the last round. What what actually gave you a run for your money, or was it all just uh, tap dancing and laughs and high fiving, or, or or were oh, there a couple no, of grinders? Definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. I think you know I wouldn't I wouldn't say that the the, the gray knights are like iron hands good at the moment, but. Uh, I was able to claw victories like the Raven guards matchup was obviously really tough and that was a real tight game. It was like a 23 to 21 victory. Um, so real tight, just a couple of points in it. Um, and I, 
I think, honestly, if, if I hadn't gone first, he might have had that, you know, hard to say, but yeah. either way, it could have been a bad day for me, you know. So I think with the Grey Knights, I haven't found that I'm able to score big, big victories, you know, mm-hmm. like your big 36, 42 point wins. Yeah. But you're able to you're able to get those consistent 25, 26 point wins um, over your opponent and uh, and outlast them. Um, and that, you know, I'm happy with that, to be honest. If, if I can even go toe-to-toe with the Marine meta using Grey Knights, like, <laughs> I'm very happy to do that, Val. So so are the Grey Knights, what, what, are they the cure to what ails the, the meta right now? Are they the, ironically, they're Space Marines still, but let's just forget that for a moment. <laughs> Um, are, are, are they the, the counter that's going to knock some things loose here? I think that, I think it would be remiss of a lot of players to discount them. Uh, I do think obviously it's going to change the chaos meta pretty substantially. Um, but for the actual Marines, I do think they're going to have to start thinking about how they can shut a gray Knight's army down at least psychically. Mm -hmm. Um, because you know what? They're a tough cookie to break, you know, like even even I'm just thinking about the matchup with the Centurions, even with the Flamers and the Hurricane Bolters in Tactical Doctrine. When I've got a minus one to wound Strat on, um, Psychic Power on, yeah. they do not like that. <laughs> you know, they really do not like it. Right. It uh, makes the Paladins quite daunting for them to actually kill. Now, although you guys did play a grueling six rounds, you didn't yeah. play the seventh. So there's one other undefeated out there. I believe Vic VJ, right? That's right. Great player, great list. He was running the uh, the Iron Hands Boogeyman list. That's right. The uh, we're we're talking about it a bit in this episode. The uh, the Broviathan. That's right. What do you what do you think your odds are up against something like that? What would happen if if this thing went to around seven? It's. I mean, I. You know what? I would have loved to have played that game. Um, I, I do, I would really have liked first turn in that matchup, to be honest with you, yeah. uh, you know, or obviously depends on terrain and so forth. Uh, I don't think I could take that list very comfortably. Do I think that I could win it? Yeah, it's possible. I mean, it's great. They're such a weird one because I negate a lot of the resilience with my mortal wound output. So if I can clear that screen early enough and get to that juicy Leviathan, Leviathan friends, he's, he's in a bit of trouble. Yeah. But the question is, can I get through that screen quickly enough? You know what? I have to play the game and find out. You know, you're absolutely right. You, you, you're right to challenge Vic to a uh, round seven in your very own studio for, for, uh, for On Demand. Did I hear that right, that you were calling him out? You, you absolutely heard that correct. And uh, look, I was speaking to Vic, and he's a great guy. I'd love to have him on the channel. So we will have a death match, uh, and then we'll play 40K afterwards. That's right. What we try to do on this show is show that competitive players can be charming and well-rounded individuals. Um, yes. But also, you know, they are, they are games. There's, there's an actual game that can be played there, and it can be entertaining. And I'm sure you guys would have a stonker of a match. Yeah, I think it would be great. Yeah, yeah, I think it would be really, really fun, actually. Regardless of anything, I think it's a it's a great achievement, a stunning result for how far back Grey Knights were even a month ago. Um, so congratulations wholeheartedly. Uh, what's next for you? Are you getting out to any more tournaments this year? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm back on it this year. So I was, I was retired last year, but I'm uh, back to fighting fitness this year. So I'm booked in for uh, the Blackheart GT, which is in Bristol coming up, mm-hmm. and the Gibraltar GT as well. So um, I've got some big ones coming up. 
Yeah, the Gibraltar GT. That's going to be actually a lot of fun because they're running they're running a, a full on GT. It's not just their their yeah. Invitational. Exactly, you got it. So it's uh, should be exciting that one. I think that is only five rounds, but I do think it's ninety players. Oh really? So yeah, so they've they've expanded yet again. So it's it's it is a big one, certainly in terms of uh, ITC points. Well, that's pretty awesome. I wish you the best of luck out there. And uh, just once more, maybe you can remind our listeners where uh, where people can find you. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, so you can check us out on tabletoptactics.tv. That's the website. And uh, you can just Google Tabletop Tactics and no doubt you'll find the YouTube channel. Lawrence and his merry band of 40K players are always uh, cranking out content on there and Dungeons and Dragons. That's right. They do everything. For narrative reports and competitive reports and all kinds of fun That's stuff. It. I'm a big fan of this show. That's it. So thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. And uh, I look forward to hopefully the Titans not getting too good because I, I want you to keep playing, <laughs> not having to switch off if it becomes the flavor of the week here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sticking them with them this year. Even if everyone bandwagons, I'm sticking with them. <laughs> All right, we got we got you on the record. So I'm glad to glad to hear the Hammers of Titan will be spotted uh, at a tournament near you, as long as you live in the UK. All right, man. Thanks a lot for your time. Thanks, buddy. Breaking news: 40k Stat Center. We interrupt this pre-recorded podcast to address the monstrous callout that was made by Lawrence in that preceding interview. Early reports suggest that Vic is scared. We go now live to the also pre-recorded response from Vic. And finally, um, there's been some word on the street that I'm too scared and refusing to take on Lawrence Baker on his uh, YouTube channel for a no-holds-barred championship finale. I'd like to just say that is not the truth. I am always ready for that. I may not play with full commitment because nothing would make me happier than seeing the Grey Knights take apart this Iron Hands list. You heard it here first, folks. Vic will not only accept this challenge, but he'll even promise to take it easy on Lawrence so that maybe the spider won't immediately get squished. How breathtakingly British. Tournament news. I'm Lawrence Baker. And this is the B-Bone from Tabletop Tactics. You're listening to 40K Stat Center. Our final event today is the Wheat City Open, run in the deepest recesses of Brandon, Manitoba, Canada. Whoa. The perfect location for a fun night being chased by a crazed madman through fields of golden grain. Wheat City was a 61-player, six-round ITC extravaganza in the heart of hip territory. And I just want to point out that the deepest crevice of Brandon, Manitoba is maybe like a foot and a half deep. Like, it's actually not that dark. Like Brandon. No, it, it, it's essentially like uh, perfectly level, just like that Rick and Morty episode. Perfectly level, just like us as well, because we're on the level here with a bit of a quick hit recap of the Wheat City Open. 61 players, though, in Brandon, Manitoba. I don't know where they're getting all of these people. I think it's mostly from like the Dakotas area and a little bit of the the prairies. It's surprising how many guys they have out there. The, uh, these guys, they run, I think, three majors a year, I want to say, yeah. um, in that Brandon area. And um, they, they always pull in like the good numbers, I'll have to say. It's always like 58, 61. I mean, last year they were the first major that happened after the LVO, uh, this exact major, the Wheat City. Uh, and it was one with Thousand Sons. Uh, mm -hmm. It made me go on a little bit of a trip for a couple of weeks about uh, Scarab Occult Terminators because they'd just gotten the, a buff to um, to their shooting. Yeah, and with, Ryan Mandrick had won with basically, it. Yeah. yeah, essentially. So and Ryan Mandrick had run, uh, run it and won with them. 
Um, thought it might become a thing, but then we got a bunch of new releases, uh, as we always do, that made them absolutely useless again. Um, and now here we are again. And We're- it went a little bit differently. Yeah, Ryan Mandrick's still involved in the tale of the tape, though. And as a very brief uh, hint, he loses. Yep. Because an Good. American showed up from the Dakotas, oh, no less. Mm. Yeah, Kyle Thompson, uh, the war hog himself from um, Goonhammer, managed to take the win in this event. He uh, came and stole uh, our prized uh, tournament trophy, as it were, from those poor baby seal Canadian hands. Yeah, you know, it prompted a lot of his fellow Goonhammer um, writers to question his motivation. So I got some comments from Kyle just about that craven shift that he made over to Iron Hands. First off, it was a major. And no, I'm the guy who does power move army tray placements and makes sure to fill up my opponent's water bottle first so it's slightly warmer than mine. Okay, a little bit of insight now. I'm, I'm starting to understand. It sounds like North Dakotans... Very similar to Canadians. I mean, that was, that was some underhanded, dirty tricks for a Manitoban. So fitting right in, Mr. Thompson. Yeah, he definitely did that. Now, the big thing here um, is that uh, Kyle, at least for this event, has switched over to Iron Hands, um, and it does seem uh, to be something that he's go- looking to do in the future. Um, last year, um, Kyle did run mostly um, AdMech for the majority of his tournaments. He did uh, dip into Dark Angels a few times and, uh, and uh, guard uh, Dark Angel Mix uh, once and again, but AdMech was kind of his loyal mainstay. Um, Val, did you happen to ask him uh, why the, the sudden traitorous turn? Well, I guess we're about to find out. I own a very large Space Marine army and I have accumulated, that I've accumulated since 5th edition and love to put them on the table now that when they're remotely good. It sucks that they're now the boogeyman because despite this, despite this list being kind of the Brevithian adjacent, I do like the new design space of having pre-game options with spells, warlord traits, and relics to tailor the list a bit against whatever my opponent's bringing to the table. As far as Admech are right now, I think they're fine. I mean, I played Marines four times at LVO and split the wins. If the one Brohammer list I did run into didn't have a perfect L because of the top 100 terrain changes, I may have actually had a game. Admech is playing from behind by having an early book, but with the aggressive point drops and additional model support they've received, there's a lot of there there and it has two or three very different builds that are that are competitive. Alrighty, so something that our audience doesn't know at this point in the story is that although Kyle did switch over to Iron Hands, if I'm not mistaken, Mr. Falcon, he didn't switch over to the Leviathan build that we've been discussing at length for the other part of the episode, but he switched to a Brigade uh, version of Iron Hands, an old-fashioned chestnut at this point in the meta. Yeah, for sure. He's running a, a brigade that's very similar to um, Nick Notavati's brigade that he had run uh, prior to the LBO um, before he, quote unquote, YOLO'd to White Scars last minute. And in fact, um, while Nick has talked about, you know, maybe the Horde uh, answer was what was needed um, in talking to Nick personally. Um, he had said that he really wished that he had stuck to his Iron Hands brigade because, you know, he had so many reps with it. And um, he felt it had a legitimate chance, um, especially against like the list he ended up losing to. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we actually get a little bit of his lispiration uh, just right here before uh, he gives us some handy tips. 
Really, though, I took a lot of inspiration from fellow Warhog Ryan Olson's list he took the Renegade Open with, and workshop changes I made to his list. I wanted the Terex drill in particular uh, instead of a drop pod because I didn't want to have a loss condition and the drill super annoying to deal with. He was very helpful in gaming out which what pregame options are useful in certain matchups. Having team to be able to be a sounding board is super important to get out of your own head. Having team members is essential to getting out of your own head. <sighs> Pete, doesn't that just ring true to you? No, not at all. I really wish that I was uh, a solo bird in this grand adventure sometimes. Yeah. Well, I'll keep barking up that tree. Don't you worry, <laughs> audience. And, you know, Pete and I, as some listeners may have noticed by now, are actually, it's true, Canadians. And uh, this last weekend, and although we haven't really touched on it, there was also another very large tournament uh, that was uh, a team event in Ottawa. We're going to cover it next week the Can Hammer Team Tournament. Um, however, that one uh, was dominated and decimated by a carload full of Americans, much like uh, this Wheat City Open was dominated and decimated by an American bandit. So we asked Kyle if he might have some tips for other Americans uh, looking to move, make that move north, uh, you know, in the, uh, in the grand tradition of T.J. Lanigan and uh, basically every American who's ever come to a Canadian tournament, uh, uh, what tips you might have for, for beating Canadians. Honestly, the Manitoba Canadians are basically Dakotans again, with royalty on their money and Tim Hortons on every corner. I traded this event like, a, like any other major I go to. Never look at the field beforehand, get practice games against armies that won't be there, and make very American-sounding, ego-driven claims of being ready to just take their trophies home the night before the event even starts, and complain the whole time, about pairings being delayed because of some bug in PCP. You know, on the whole, Pete, that doesn't sound all that different from how you or I approach a tournament, so... Yeah, I mean, I legitimately don't even do practice games. I mean, I legitimately barely know what game we're even talking about. <laughs> Why don't we bring this one home? Congrats, Kyle, on your win at the Wheat City Open. In Brandon, Manitoba. And America, please. And UK, wherever you are, please. Just do yourselves a favor. Google Street View, Highway 1. That's the, the Canadian highway that goes east-west in Canada. Just Google Street View the, the intersection for Brandon, Manitoba. And just just go there with us someday. Yeah. Take a quick trip. Oh, and uh, congratulations to Ryan Mandrick for not winning the event with the Breviathan list. You did oh, your best, buddy. I guess there's that hard counter. It's North Dakota. Tournament News. I'm Michael. I'm Alex. I'm Will. And we're the High Lords of Terror. And you're listening to 40K Stats. Alrighty, our very patient listening audience, it's time we bring this one home with a few quick hitters. Because yes, we have been off the air for quite an extended period of time. And there's been other stuff going on outside of the LVO and some exciting things going on out there, including a GT in South Africa. That's right, the Cape Legacy GT happened back on January 25th in glorious South Africa and was won by Saki Basson, running Renegade Knights and a side of CSM. Now, the, the TO did reach out with some clips and some, uh, some, some cool stories from the event, and we just didn't have as much time this week to cram it in. We're definitely going to get around to them, uh, hopefully, next week. Yeah, because a big thing for us guys is, is to hit up these kind of, you know, um, out-of-the-way tournaments that we just love to hear about from parts of the world that we don't get to talk about very often. Mm -hmm. um, 
Back to the quick hits, last week, Lee Caselli parried all of those who happened to oppose him and took down the Cross Swords GT with some classic Night Spinner and uh, Crimson Hunter Eldar. David Hodgetts took Gravdev Spam to the next level when his Iron Hands beat off his opponents at Over the Top in New Zealand. And Ben Rubenstein cleaned house at Captain Con with a brigade full of Iron Hands good stuff. All right, let's hit one last bump and wrap this puppy up. Tournament news. Hey guys, this is John Lennon, Daniel Smith, and Jimmy Prescott with Florida Man 40K and Team Brohammer, and you're listening to 40K Stat Center. <laughs> well, Pete, I think that does it for our show. As always, hit that like button, subscribe, leave comments and reviews, tell your neighbors and your coworkers about how handsome and funny we are. And don't forget to listen to our compatriots on the Frontline Gaming Network. This week, Pablo Scari, Salty John, and Steve Pamprine covered potential changes to the ITC for the 2020 season over on Chapter Tactics. Reese will be doing some zany things on signals from the Frontline. And The Art of War posted their episode a day late when Nick Nonavati got stuck in Canada and John Damaris forgot he even ran a podcast at all. Luckily, this week, as mentioned, they talked with Eric Lathuris about just how his dirty neophyte list actually played out at CanCon. You know, you'd think that they wouldn't screw things up. They could just they could just pay people with all that that Patreon money that they're getting with that paywall. Oh yeah, the paywall. I mean, we should look into that. You know, I'm I've been thinking about putting you behind a paywall. Oh, thanks. Well, you're welcome. Not the not the reaction I was expecting, but uh, that's fine. I'm glad that you're open to uh, to to capitalist opportunities, and that's fantastic. And I think I think we've done enough end of show banter. And we can roll those credits. Do you have anything left to say for yourself? Bye-bye. This has been 40K Stat Center, a presentation of the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. Like what we do? Subscribe to and rate us on YouTube and wherever podcasts can be found. Join the conversation. Follow 40K Stat Center on Facebook. You can also support the show directly by joining the Chapter Tactics Patreon and competitive 40K in general via the ITC Patreon or by grabbing a subscription to BCP. BCP.